Well, good afternoon, Covenant Hope Church. What a joy it is to preach to you from God's Word. Let me just pray for us as we turn our hearts to God's Word. Father, we thank you, Lord, for Jesus. We thank you for what he has done for us. We know, Lord, that what he has done, no other man could do for us. We thank you, Lord, that not only has Jesus died and has risen from the dead, but he is building his church. And we remember, Lord, that even this afternoon, he is building his church now through the preaching of your word. We pray, Lord, that you would bless it and may Christ have his glory. We pray this in his name. Amen. My wife and I, that is Joanna and I, we love watching action movies. You know, in most of these movies, there is a hero who is usually a spy or a soldier. And the boss gives him a folder uh, and says something like, this is your mission should you choose to accept it. And when the hero opens it, there is usually just a picture or a map and the hero says, I accept. And at this point, Joanna and I always wonder, how is it that the hero knows what to do? There is a mission given, but there's not really any helpful instructions on how he should accomplish it. Of course, in an amazing way, the hero not only knows what to do, but perfectly accomplishes the mission despite many challenges. And then in the end, everybody is saved. Now, the church also is given a mission by God. But thankfully, this mission, unlike the movies, is not mysterious, it's not secretive. God has clearly told us what the mission is that the church should be engaged in and how we are to fulfill it. Now, it is important that we know clearly what the mission of the church and how we are to do it because there is great confusion in the world today as to what exactly this is. But despite the confusion, I want to make one thing clear. It is not because the Bible is not clear. So this afternoon, in our endeavor to faithfully obey God for what he has commanded our church to do, I want to draw our attention to Matthew chapter 28. And in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20, we have one of the most clearest mission statements for our church. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, if you have been reading Matthew's gospel, you will know that at this point, Jesus has come into the world. He has shown that he has great authority he has died on the cross and he's risen from the dead. And so these events are taking place right after Jesus' resurrection from the dead. These are the last words that Jesus speaks to his disciples. 
And we know, don't we, that last words are important. We can learn a lot from people's last words. Now, you would think that Jesus, after his death and resurrection, may have gone to all the people that opposed him to prove that they were wrong. But that is not what Jesus does. You would have thought that maybe Jesus would have gone to the thousands of people that followed him during his earthly ministry. But instead, in verse 16 and 17, we see Jesus gathering with his disciples on a mountain, just like he's done many times before in Matthew's gospel. Now, mountains are important places where God reveals himself to his people throughout the Bible, but especially in Matthew's gospel. But this revelation of Jesus on this mountain to the disciples take place after his death and resurrection and before his ascension into heaven. And so they carry special weight. So you see, Jesus, for the short time that he has before he goes to heaven, chooses to be with his disciples, to instruct them on what they are to do during the time that he is away. These are the ones that Jesus will use to build his church. Even though, I wonder if you noticed, some doubted Jesus at this point, did not worship him. But these are the ones that Jesus will fulfill his mission with. So Matthew chapter 28, and at the end of Matthew 28, this passage that is called as the Great Commission by many people around the world, these are not just some parting words that Jesus gives his disciples before he goes away. This will shape the mission of the church till Christ comes back. Now, if you look at exactly what Jesus says, you will notice that there are three things that he says. So firstly, in verse 18, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Then in verse 19, he says, go and make disciples of all nations. And he says some other things there. And then finally, in verse 20, he says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. So in this great commission passage, we have two amazing declarations of who Jesus is. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And the other declaration is, I'm with you always till the end of the age. And sandwiched between these two amazing declarations is the command that Jesus gives his church to go and make disciples. So for the rest of our time, we will consider each one of these statements one by one. So firstly, his declaration that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Let's just think about the claim that Jesus makes here. He is making the absolute claim that he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords of the entire universe. Now, if you look at the very first verse of Matthew's gospel, Matthew tells us who Jesus is. And one of the ways that he describes Jesus is he's the son of David. God has revealed through his prophets time and time again that a son of David would come. And this son of David will establish an eternal kingdom where peace and justice and righteousness would reign. And Matthew has gone to great length to show us that Jesus is in fact the son of David, the king that was promised the Messiah that people had been waiting for for hundreds and hundreds of years. And the Messiah is finally here. But what's surprising is this king is more than a king of Israel. 
we are told that he is the king of the whole world, of the entire universe. All authority in heaven and on earth belongs to him. You know, we are reminded when we read that line of the very first verse, of the very first book in the Bible, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know, that line, the very first line in our Bibles, is a statement that God is making, that he has absolute authority over everything in the whole world. And do you notice what Jesus is doing here? He is claiming he has that authority. All authority in heaven and on earth is his. This is nothing less than divine authority. No wonder some of the disciples worshipped him. You know, throughout his time on earth, Jesus was a humble man, and there were many people who opposed him. And when he died on the cross, they thought they had won. But in his resurrection from the dead, Jesus defeated death. And now he, the God-man, has been given all authority, not just on earth, but also in heaven. Everything belongs to him. Hundreds of years before this, the prophet Daniel saw this day. We are told in Daniel chapter 7, verse 14, the vision that Daniel saw, one like a son of man who was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. And we are told that his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. So Jesus, through his resurrection from the dead, is the recipient of this amazing kingdom that Daniel saw in his vision. And now he is commanding his disciples to go and gather the nations to him so that the nations will worship him for all of eternity. This is what Jesus is doing here. Now it's important that the disciples who are before him understand exactly the claim that Jesus is making because he is going to ask these 11 trembling men to be the foundation of a worldwide movement where they would go to the ends of the earth and call people to profess that he's in fact the king of kings and the lord of lords. So what difference should it make to the disciples to know that Jesus has been given all authority in heaven and on earth? Well firstly it means that the disciples don't need to be afraid. Jesus has all authority his authority makes their mission possible. Secondly, they don't have to worry about making Jesus the king of the world because he already is. He's already the king of the world. The disciples simply have the privilege of proclaiming the truth about Christ. But the responses of the people to the message of salvation from the disciples, well, the responses don't take away anything or do they do anything to the authority that Jesus has been given. Now we should know that this is so counterintuitive to us, what Jesus is claiming and what he's asking his disciples to do. You know, I'm sure that you see this in many of our countries. You know, politicians often have people that work for them whose job is to go and win supporters for the politicians. And so they make favors or they make threats and they force people to support the politician. And if more people support the politician, 
their power grows and their authority increases. But if people stop supporting the politician, he, he loses his power. But that is not what Jesus is doing here. The disciples of Jesus are simply making known the truth about Christ to all the nations of the earth. If people reject him, it doesn't mean that his mission has failed or the disciples have failed. So, brothers and sisters, even as we think about this call to our church, Covenant Hope Church, I hope you see, even before we read about the command that Jesus has given, I hope you see what a freeing and encouraging truth it is that Jesus claims that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. The church is sent into the world, not so that Jesus will become king, but because he already is the king of the world. But thirdly, and most importantly, why this matters to the disciples, that Jesus has been given all authority, is because he gets to decide what the mission of the church is and how the church should fulfill its mission. So the mission of the church is not determined by the senior pastor. The mission of the church is not determined by the elders of the church. It is not by the members of the church, the congregation with all the authority that has been given to them. It is not some committee. It is not the people who give the church money. It is certainly not the government. Christ, and only Christ has the authority to tell the church what the church's mission is and how the church must fulfill it. So what that means is obeying the great commission that we see in Matthew 28 is a matter of submitting to the Lordship of Christ. We cannot claim that we are the church of Christ and not obey what Jesus has commanded his church to do in Matthew 28. If the direction that Christ has called his church to go is clear, then we as a church must follow. And for those who are elders in the church, we should know that we have a responsibility to teach the mission of the church to our congregation. Because one day, we're going to stand before Christ and we'll have to give an account to Jesus for how well we have taught our churches to obey him. So let's consider, secondly, what Christ wants us to do. What exactly is the mission of the church? With all the authority that Jesus has been given in the universe, he could have asked his disciples to do anything. To build monuments, to topple governments, to end corruption. But what is it that Jesus is most interested in? Make disciples of all nations. Of all the things that Jesus could have asked his disciples to do, this is the central task that they are commissioned with. Make disciples. Everything else in verse 19 is about how we make disciples. But the main command in that verse is to make disciples. So what this means is Jesus is entrusting his authority to the church to go to the ends of the world and to make disciples so that people will praise him and obey him now and forever. If the task of making disciples is so important to Jesus, then it must be important to us as his church. Now, I want to say that some people will disagree with this. They will disagree that this is actually the mission of the church. So there are many people today who say that 
the church should just as much be involved in changing the state of the society, like ending corruption, ending injustice, or that we should be doing our work to preserve the natural world that we live in, like being involved in animal welfare or pollution or global warming. I want you to know that these are the loudest commands that we hear from people who are outside the church, from non-Christians. The church is constantly being told that we are not doing enough in this world by those who are outside. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not saying that these things are not important. They definitely impact our lives here in this world. But they're not the mission of the church. Now, should individual Christians be concerned and involved in these issues? Absolutely. Should individual Christians do everything in their power to not contribute to the problems of this world, and in fact try to stop the problems in this world? Absolutely yes. Should individual Christians care about preserving the planet, not destroying this world that we live in, or to solve the problem of global pro poverty in the world? Absolutely. And Christians should be involved in fighting against injustice and corruption, and they should speak against it and do their part in stopping it, absolutely. But there is a difference between what an individual Christian engages in and what the church is called to be engaged in. Now, Some people say that it is the job of the church to participate in everything that God is doing in this world. But is that actually right as we read Matthew chapter 28? If everything that God does in the world is the church's mission, then what is the specific role of the church compared to every other human activity out there in this world? In other words, non-Christians too can work to make this world a better place. You don't have to be a Christian to do that. And don't hear me saying that these things are not important. Let me repeat again that Christians need to be involved in these things. We have a different motivation to be involved in these things because Christ has saved us. He's redeemed us. But the church has a unique call, and that is to proclaim the message of salvation to the ends of the earth because the world is not going to do that. The world has not been entrusted with the gospel. Christ has not called the world to make disciples of all nations. That is the unique privilege and priority of the church. And if the church forgets this, for every other goal out there, no matter how good and noble they may be, it's not okay. If we forget what Christ has called us to in Matthew chapter 28, we will be in disobedience to Jesus. You know, other problems in the world are in our face. They can seem loud and urgent. But brothers and sisters in Covenant Hope Church, we must strive to keep the main thing, the main thing, and the main thing is to make disciples of all nations. Here is another reason why this is so crucial for us to be engaged in this. You see, as Christians, those whom God has opened the eyes of, those who trust the word of God as the revelation of God, we see a reality that others in the world cannot see. We see the reality of the unseen things in the world. And we see the reality of the judgment day that people all around the world who do not believe in Jesus are ignoring every day. And when we forget 
the reality of the eternal judgment, and the eternal judgment as the greatest of human suffering in the world, if we forget that, we can be distracted from the mission that Christ has called us to. The suffering in this world, and yes, we must care for the suffering in this world, it does not compare with the unending suffering that is coming after death for all those who have not repented and trusted in Jesus. Where, according to Mark's gospel, where Jesus says, the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Remembering and teaching on the reality of hell will make us more committed to the task that Jesus is calling us to in Matthew 28. And friends, we need to make the efforts to keep our eyes fixed exactly on what Christ has called us to. Now think of what happens to a boat that is not tied to the dock. You won't notice what happens immediately, but slowly, steadily, and eventually, the boat will drift away. And before you know it, it is very far from where it is supposed to be. You know, um, I drive my daughter at least once a day to her school. So every time I sit in my car, that's where I'm going. So I have to be careful. If I'm not thinking, or if I'm distracted, I'm going to the school. Now every once in a while, you know, Joanna will send me to the grocery store to get carrots or something else. And uh, you know, if I'm not careful, if I'm not distracted, if I forget where I'm going, I will come home with my daughter and not the carrots. This can happen to our churches as well. If we are distracted, we will find ourselves drifting very far away from where Jesus has called us to be. We need to be laser focused on this command, and that is to make disciples of all nations. How do we do that? Well, we make it a priority in our weekly gathering. This is why in our church we regularly teach about it. And if you noticed, even in today's pastoral prayer, this is why we pray for unreached people groups around the world. This is why we pray for churches around the world. And this is why we financially support the efforts of disciple making here and around the world. And this is why we train people. So our pastoral internship, you know, this year we are training three men for this so that we can be engaged in the task of making disciples. And we as a church should encourage even other churches in our city as well as overseas to be engaged in this task of making disciples of all nations. You know, one thing you may have noticed if you attend our prayer meeting, you know, we have a prayer meeting every other week. In fact, tonight we will gather together to pray for various needs in our church. And let me invite you to come to that if you haven't been to it before. But one of the things you will notice if you've been coming regularly is that every now and then the elders will ask the members or anyone that is there to uh, give the names of people that they've been sharing the gospel with. And then together as a church, we pray for those people to come to know Christ. The goal is so that others can be encouraged to do the same while we are praying for these evangelistic efforts. So if disciple making is the main command that Jesus gives to the church, how are we to do it? Notice Jesus says there are three ways that we can do this. Three things we are to do in verse 19. We go, 19 and 20, we go, we baptize, and we teach them to obey everything that Christ has commanded us. If I can summarize that in two words, I would say 
that the way we make disciples is by proclaiming and gathering. Proclaiming is going, and baptizing and teaching them to obey everything that Christ has commanded is by gathering them into local churches. So first, let's consider this command. Go and make disciples of all nations. You know, up until now, the nation of Israel was seen to be the spiritual center of the world. But here, Jesus is indicating that God is gathering to himself people from all nations of the world. And so, I wonder if you realized in Matthew 28, we have an echo of the great promise that God gave to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. You know, it was read for us earlier in the service. God promises Abraham in chapter 12 that all the families of the earth will be blessed through him and his offspring. But here at last, we are told exactly how God is going to fulfill his promise. Here at last, we come to see how all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And that is through Christ, through his death and resurrection, and by him commanding his disciples to go and make disciples to, of all the nations. Can you imagine what an amazing teaching this would have been for the disciples when they finally connected the dots? What an amazing privilege for them to be involved in God fulfilling that promise to Abraham to bring salvation to the ends of the earth, that it was, not, it was going to be through Christ and his disciples. And as we read the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and in chapter 2, we are said that Christ is going to send his promised Holy Spirit to empower his disciples to be able to do this. So in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Do you see the progress of the gospel? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And at the very end of the book of Acts, we are told how the gospel has gone to the ends of the earth. In chapter 28, verse 28, Paul is before Jewish officials in Rome, and this is what he says has happened. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. And what does he do next in verse 31? He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The book of Acts is the story about how the disciples were obeying the Great Commission to take the gospel from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. Friends, I hope you see that in this room, all those of us who are believers, we are all beneficiaries of the disciples obeying the Great Commission to take the gospel outside the boundaries of Jerusalem. I hope you see that we are all beneficiaries of faithful churches in recent history doing their part to obey and fulfill the Great Commission. And I hope you see that even our church was planted as a result of other churches in this city seeking to obey the Great Commission. And now our church, Covenant Hope Church, has a responsibility, don't we? Here in Dubai, which is so diverse, so full of people from so many unreached people groups in the world, we have a unique opportunity to take the gospel to the ends of the earth by proclaiming the gospel to the lost right here in the city. The need is great, and Christ is calling us to do that. And the mission of the church is to be reaching out, constantly reaching out. Jesus wants disciples from India as much as he wants disciples from Pakistan. 
he wants disciples from United States, United Kingdom, as much as he wants disciples from Nigeria and Egypt and many other countries. Because Christ has been given all authority, he will even have his disciples from Iran and some of the other countries around us. Friends, nothing can stop him from having his inheritance. God is establishing his church so that the church can be a powerful force for the proclamation of the gospel throughout the world. Now, on that note, the word proclaim is actually not in the Great Commission. But we know this is what he meant when he said go, because that's exactly what the disciples do in the book of Acts in obedience to Matthew 28. They don't just live lives as Christians, but they proclaim the gospel, call people to repent and believe, and as a result, thousands were added to their number. You know, living as a Christian faithfully is important, and the Bible calls us to do that. But we must know, no one is going to be saved without the preaching of the gospel with words. As Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verse 14, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? You know, several years ago, I was having lunch with some um, Christians in Ibn Battuta Mall after church, and we prayed before we ate our food. And we didn't realize that as we were praying, there was a man from a non-Christian background that was watching us. And so when we opened our eyes, he smiled at us and came up to us, and he told us how moved he was by the fact that we were praying before we ate our food. And so we invited him to church, and he became a friend of the Christians in our church. And uh, after spending several months with Christian, you know, he was enjoying his time. He was learning a lot about their lives, but he did not become a Christian. But then members in the church started meeting with him to teach the gospel and clearly invited him to repent and believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of his sins. And after hearing the gospel many, many times, he finally trusted in Christ and repented and believed, was baptized, and became a member of the church. You see, the lost, if they're going to be saved, need to hear the gospel clearly taught in words. And it is the most loving thing we can do as a church to proclaim the gospel. And like in the case of this man, we should encourage our whole church to do that. And God is going to use that to save many. Well, the second step of disciple-making is, we are told by Jesus, baptizing them. Now, baptism is the command that God has given the church by which the people of God are marked from the world and they are marked for Christ and his church. They are marked with a new name, the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It is who they belong to now. And it is the church that is authorized to baptize people and to bring them in. You see, the pattern that we see again and again in the book of Acts is that those who received the word were baptized, and those who were baptized were added to the body of believers in that area. And one place you can turn to to see this is Acts chapter 2. But today, so often we hear of people baptizing believers without gathering them into local churches, as if Baptism is just a private experience between the individual and God. But that is like 
giving birth to a baby and leaving it on the side of the road without giving it a family to be part of. See, the way that God has designed for Christians to grow is through his body, the church. And baptism is the means by which believers are brought into the church, and it is there that they are taught everything that Christ has commanded them. So you see, the command to make disciples by baptizing and teaching means that we can't fulfill the Great Commission without multiplication of churches. So friends, I hope you see that it is so important even for us as Covenant Hope Church to pray and work to see churches planted. The priority of the local church should be to proclaim the gospel so that people will come to know Christ. And then those who believe, for those who believe, we need to plant churches where teaching and discipling can effectively and faithfully take place for them. Now we have already started talking about this, but the final thing, the church's responsibility to fulfill the Great Commission is to teach them to obey everything that Christ has commanded. Now notice that he doesn't say, teach them everything that Christ has commanded, but he says to teach them to obey everything that Christ has commanded. That means that it's gonna take a very long time. In other words, this kind of teaching is not going to happen with a few meetings. It's not gonna happen with a conference. No, it is the church's responsibility to do this over the course of the entire lives of the believers, to teach them to obey everything that Christ has commanded. Do you know why it is that a believer grows when they are part of the body of Christ? Or to put it another way, why is it that a believer can't grow apart from the body of Christ? It is because Christ is building his church. So the way that disciples grow is by being part of the body of Christ, which is being built up. You know, in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 16, Paul says what happens when Jesus ascended to heaven. He says there were gifts that came down. Now, if you know in the book of Acts, you know, when Christ ascended, the Spirit came down. So with the Spirit, there were gifts that came down. And these gifts were for the church. And if you notice in Ephesians chapter 4 what these gifts are, they are different kinds of teachers for the church. So we are told apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers were given to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. So you see that it is through the faithful teaching in the local church that believers are built up. Christ has given the gifts of teachers for this to the church. So making disciples is not just getting people in through the door, but the responsibility for us is also to grow them in Christ in a local church. And the important work of discipling believers in a local church, is, it's so important, but it's not usually taught when people teach the Great Commission, Matthew 28. But as we see, this is what Jesus commands his disciples to do. And we see this pattern followed by Paul in the New Testament. So he takes the gospel to new places, he plants churches, and he strengthens them to help. In fact, Paul devoted so much of his energy towards the end of his life, writing letters to churches to strengthen them and to care for them, because it is through the faithful teaching of scriptures in the church that believers are prepared to obey and endure till the end. Christians 
cannot survive apart from the local church that Christ is building up. Many of you know this sister in our church, but we have a young woman here who came to Christ some years ago, and I will never forget the day when she was baptized. What a joy that was. And she became a member of our church. But this year, she faced a lot of persecution from her family. And they tried to isolate her from the church. And at one point, she was even filled with some doubts. But during the time that she was not allowed to go to church, several members in our church were reaching out to her. They pursued her by reminding her of the truth of the gospel, by reading the word with her, by teaching her about the truth. And eventually, she was able to come back and join our church. But you know what sustained her during that dark time? It was the members in the church teaching God's word to her. So you see, brothers and sisters, it is through the teaching in the church that Christians continue to believe and obey Christ. And the job of the elders, as we see in Ephesians chapter 4, is to equip the church to do this, to speak the truth in love to one another, and that is the way Christ is building up his church. Now, making the teaching of the church the main priority of the church can be very difficult, especially because we are surrounded by hundreds of people that have never heard the gospel and have never read the Bible before. And so oftentimes, you know, you look at the teaching ministry in the church, and that can be very hard. You know, Christians go through a lot of issues. They need a lot of care in the church. Christians have marital issues. They struggle with depression, and they struggle with sin. And we need to remember that discipling believers through all these things is not a hindrance to the Great Commission being accomplished. It can be tempting, isn't it, to think that just by working with, with believers in the church, discipling believers, it can be tempting to think that it is a huge distraction from fulfilling the Great Commission. And focusing on evangelism and baptizing believers seem very exciting compared to the hard work of maturing them and growing them in a local church. But we need to remember that it is through that hard work of discipling believers in a local church that the church is edified and the gospel goes out more clearly. You know, I came to Christ when I was 19 years old here in Dubai. And uh, before I became a Christian, I was in a church where nobody really discipled me or invested in me. But when I became a believer, I joined a church and the elders took me under their wing. I sat under faithful teaching week in and week out and they began to read the Bible with me and the teaching ministry of the elders made me grow in my love for God's word and made me grow in my love for the lost. Because of their discipling, I started sharing the gospel with so many people and I committed myself to discipling other men who are all now bold evangelists so you see, even though teaching and discipling believers in the church can seem slow, painful, and difficult, the long-term fruit can be so much more than we imagine. We see this in 1 Thessalonians 1, 8, where Paul says to the Thessalonian church, not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. Paul proclaimed the gospel to the people in Thessalonica, 
He planted the church there. And now, through the ministry of the church, the church, the word of God has spread to other places. So friends, I want to ask you, do you see the teaching ministry of the local church as an important means by which God is fulfilling the Great Commission? Do you see how discipling believers in our local church is the important work that produces fruitful disciples for the Great Commission? Now, all this is not to say that we should neglect personal evangelism or that, you know, we should discourage the zeal for missions among young believers or new Christians. You know, we should do everything we can to stoke the fire, to encourage them. And we should pray that God will raise up many people who will take the gospel to other places that are needy for the gospel. But if the church is not taught well, they are not going to be effective in evangelism, no matter how eager and zealous they are. We need to beware of the danger of zeal without knowledge. You know, growing up, I didn't learn how to cook very well. But I'm very excited about it. You know, um, I get very excited every now and then about the idea of cooking all by myself without the help of my wife. And if any of you are like me, you know what happens when I actually try to cook. Every two minutes, I need to call Joanna and ask her, what does jeera look like? Or is uh, haldi powder the yellow one or the red one? I can't tell. Or how do I know if the chicken is cooked? Even though I have a strong desire to be master chef, without adequate teaching, I'm ineffective in the kitchen. So no matter how young or mature the members in the church are, it is through the faithful teaching of God's word that our church can be equipped to together obey the Great Commission. To summarize, friends, this is what Christ commands the church. Proclaim the gospel and gather believers together in local churches wherever the gospel is preached so they can be taught to obey everything that Christ has commanded. That is the command that Christ gives, even our church. Well, the final thing I want us to see is what is at the end of verse 20. The final announcement, the great declaration that Jesus makes, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus has declared his great authority. He's given them a great commission and now he wants them to know that though he is ascending, he is never going to leave them. He will send them his Holy Spirit to do what he wants them to do. So wherever the church goes, Jesus' empowering presence will be with them till the end of the age. You know, it should be of great comfort to the church that this command to make disciples is sandwiched between Jesus' announcement of his unlimited authority and his announcement of his lasting presence with them. Everything is in place for the disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. The Spirit will give the church of God the power of God to do what Christ has commanded them to do. You know, it does not mean that there will be no opposition. In fact, quite the opposite. There will be great opposition as the church sets out to obey Christ. But in the end, Christ will win. He will have his bride. And as Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. You know, Jesus is so intricately connected with his church in his ascension. He has not abandoned her. In fact, 
because of his death and resurrection and his ascension, we are closer to him now than we were before. This is what Paul wants us to understand from Ephesians chapter 2. You know, this passage is so familiar to us. But I want us to notice how close we are with Jesus as I read these verses for us. Ephesians chapter 2, 5 to 7. Paul says, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You know, Mark Jones has written a fantastic book. It's called Knowing Christ. I want to encourage you to get it and read it. But one of the things he says about this passage there is this. Jesus did not rise from the dead alone. He did not ascend alone. He does not sit in glory alone. No, he rose, ascended, and sits as the husband of his bride. Friends, the church has nothing to fear because we are united with Christ forever. We are as secure as Jesus is in the heavenly places. So as we listen to his commands, let us know that we are with him and he is with us. This truth should light a fire in our hearts to obey what Christ has called us to here in Matthew 28. And we have a glimpse of where Jesus is taking us with his presence. Look at Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 to 12. This is what's coming up. Revelation 7, 9 to 12. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robe with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. You know, our local church, this gathering of Covenant Hope Church, is a foreshadow of what that glorious gathering will be like that we see in Revelation chapter 7. And the promise of Jesus with us will carry us to this day when we are finally united with him perfectly forever. Friends, I hope you see what Christ is doing in our church. You know, there are so many encouraging stories of how God is using the people of this church to fulfill the Great Commission. You know, there are countless stories of Christians here sharing the gospel with others, and many people are learning about the gospel for the first time because of people, believers here. There are stories of believers pursuing other believers to come back to Christ. There are stories of members discipling other members and reading God's word with one another. And there are encouraging stories of how God is gifting our church with new elders. And there are lots of stories of how members here are caring for each other, even in practical ways. I'm not saying that our church is perfect or that we don't have areas to grow. But if this is what Jesus has done through the ministry of our church in just the five years that we have been, then think of what's coming up. 
You know, friends, the work that we do to obey the Great Commission now is going to pay dividends for years to come, even after we are dead and long gone. We may not be around to see the long-term fruit of the obedience of this church to the Great Commission, not just in Dubai, but in other parts of the world as well. It's clear, isn't it, that Christ is exerting his great authority to build his church. Now, I also want to say, as we hear this call to make disciples of all nations, I wonder if we have heard the call to respond to his, him saying, be his disciple. So if you are here and you haven't repented and trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin, then I want to encourage you to consider the gospel for yourself. The gospel teaches us that we have sinned against a holy God. And because of that, we deserve God's wrath for all of eternity. But Christ came and he died in our place on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. He took upon himself the judgment, the eternal judgment that we deserve for our sin against a holy God. Christ took it upon himself when he died on the cross in our place. And Jesus has risen victoriously, triumphantly from the dead. And he is alive right now, building his church. And for all those who have, who repent and trust in Jesus, he promises to bring them into his church. But friends, because Jesus is alive, he is coming back soon. And he, when he comes back, it is to judge the world. And I just want to point out that it is foolish to rebel against the one who has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. So if you haven't turned to Christ, let me encourage you to repent and trust in Jesus so that you can be saved and you may join in with that glorious gathering that we have just read about in Revelation chapter 7. I pray that that will happen in your lives. And brothers and sisters, to close, as the Church of Christ, we have an amazing call. I hope you see that in Matthew 28. The harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. So let's commit ourselves to proclaiming the gospel clearly teaching God's word faithfully and pray that God will multiply the witness of our church and other churches may plant it all across the world. You know, it is for this task that we are assured that Christ has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And it is for this task that we are assured that he will be with us till the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, we pray, Lord, that we will not just have understood what Christ is commanding us to do in, this, in Matthew 28 and how it is that we are to go about doing it, but we pray, Lord, that we will obey him faithfully for the glory of Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.